0: Good morning, everyone. Uh, This is Jeff Cohn with The Wall Street Resource, and joining me is Dave Kanan. He's the chairman of Barbecue Holdings. Good morning, Dave. Good morning, Jeff. Good to be here. Thanks for joining us. So we have some that aren't that familiar with the concept. Can you give us a a quick overview of the company?
1: Absolutely. BBQ Holdings is a whole co-structure. We have four brands currently. The largest one is Famous Dave's. We're known as America's best barbecue. Uh, then we have Granite City, which is a craft brewery scratch kitchen concept. Uh, then we have one store in the Chicago suburbs called Real Urban Barbecue. And we'll get to that uh, for, further down the road in the interview. Uh, I'll explain to you why we bought that and what it's. Uh, desirable attributes are and so forth. Uh, that is a line-serve barbecue concept. When I say line-serve, uh, that would be similar to what Chipotle has. Grab your tray, go down the line, grab a drink, pay, and you're eating your food. Uh, the last one is Clark Crew Barbecue. We built a flagship store uh, for, Cl- for Travis Clark, who recently uh, is probably – one of the most famous, uh, barbecue guys, he, he won a contest called the Jack Daniels, which in the barbecue world is similar to the Daytona 500. So we built him a flagship store and that's more high end, big box barbecue. Okay.
0: And are you, um, licensing your concepts? Or are you franchising or, or, or what in addition to corporate o- owned?
1: Jeff, we're a franchisor, uh, we We created uh, we like to create a concept uh, in a perfect world. Uh, we would like to have <clears throat> something that has a, a very high roi uh, you know to give you an example of what I mean by high roi would be someone can build a box for a million dollars and make five hundred thousand dollars a year uh, that 's something highly desirable, and uh, we definitely like to franchise and uh, I'd like to discuss more at some point how we would like to really grow our high-margin royalty income.
0: So the, the world has changed, obviously, with, with COVID. Do your concepts lend themselves uh, to dining out, takeout, and delivery? And also with COVID, um, did, you, did you have to pivot at all?
1: Uh, okay. Well, the answer is yes to both. In terms of takeout, barbecue travels really well, uh, much better than, for example, a hamburger or a steak. Uh, so, it's our our uh, total off-premise sales make up over 50% of our revenue mix. Uh, so, during COVID, uh, we did pivot, uh, and 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 I'll elaborate on that a little bit and in two ways primarily number 1 we learned how to make more with less we drove down our operating expenses we became extremely efficient uh, i i like to refer to our team as warriors they really stepped it up and uh so we we increased our uh, off premise primarily uh to go uh order You know, order on phone, online, through third-party delivery, pick up in store, deliver to home, uh, to the point where I would say it increased uh, almost triple digits, if not not more. Uh, So that's one way that we evolved. Uh, While our restaurant dining rooms were closed, we were able to mitigate the decline substantially by increasing the off-premise part of the business. Uh, and then, when you combine that with the operational efficiencies, our team did an exceptional job of keeping our head above water during those difficult times. Did I do so it, a good job of answering your question or did i did i yeah do no
0: no that 's fine I appreciate that so so this you may have answered this question my next question already i i 'm going to ask you what your your key strength is. It's sounding like you know being an operator is your key strength, but how would you view the, the company's core competency? Okay.
1: We've made a, a lot of progress in operations. If you go back a couple years ago, our store-level EBITDA was close to being a scratch at our corporate-owned stores. Uh, we made some changes operationally. Uh, we aligned our team. Uh, we believe that People need to be properly incented, compensated, and aligned for success. And during uh, COVID, uh, we started to see meaningful results from those operational initiatives. Uh, As far as in a more general way, when when you ask, what would you say our strengths are? Well, right now, yes, we are improving meaningfully as an operator, but I would say, At the core, our strengths are executing exceptional barbecue food. That's what I like to say, cooked with love. (laughs) Even though we're a chain restaurant, if you know Dave Anderson and our team members, uh, we're not looking to put out something that's just okay or good enough. Uh, We like to put out something that is, you know, exceptional uh, so we we deliver, even though we're a chain, what I would call food that is cooked with love. Okay. And uh we liked and then we also like to train uh and teach others to do the same, meaning our franchisees, our, our fellow uh investors. Uh the the other thing I would add to that is is great hospitality. People could go anywhere, you know, for for food. It's really important that when they come into our restaurants, they feel better when they walk out. Not only did they have a great meal, but that they were treated well, that they were greeted appropriately. Uh, so we want people to walk out happier than when they walked in, and I think
0: we do that really well. Very nice. And, and in terms of the EBITDA improvements, uh, is that sustainable as, as COVID opens up?
1: The answer is, is yes, yes. Uh, We have seen recently, even though we're not at 100% capacity, uh, in in many of our states and cities we're we're operating at 50 or maybe 60% blended capacity for dining rooms. We're seeing our sales increase even above pre-pandemic levels. And, for example, in March, as per the 8K that we recently filed our, our store-level EBITDA was actually at record level, so it's, it's even improved. So the answer is yes, we do believe that the store-level EBITDA improvements can be maintained. I think as we grow sales organically, there's leverage there to the bottom line, uh, and they can increase even more so. Uh, I, I think that it's reasonable that we can get to a double-digit or slightly better EBITDA margin over time
0: okay and then I I read um, that you're doing some ghost kitchens and also you're doing some dual concepts can you give us some color on those
1: yes Uh, we acquired uh, the concept as I uh, indicated earlier when you asked me to uh, talk about our different brands uh, uh, granite city these are these are very big boxes we have a, we have uh, a lot of capacity there. So what we've done is in markets uh, where perhaps we don't have overlap or we're not competing with a famous Dave's store, we've put in a ghost kitchen with a dedicated takeout section. So you could both order online uh, through a third party deliver or, or OLO online ordering or you can pick it up in the store with our dedicated takeout section. Uh, so w- what this has done is it's generated probably on average about 6000 per week in incremental sales, uh, and, and we think we can get that probably to about 10000 a week. Uh, so there's really little to no incremental cost there. Uh, to add this ghost kitchen and these incremental sales. And we're confident that over time, these incremental sales are going to generate more profit at those boxes.
0: And the uh, the dual concepts, uh, which, which concepts?
1: Yeah. So we, we've done a few things with dual concepts. Uh, we were contacted uh, by a brand called Texas T-Bone in Colorado, And we dual-concepted that alongside uh, of Famous Dave's, and the results have been absolutely spectacular. Uh, It's added at that box over seven figures of revenue with very nice flow-through. So we we would love to do uh, more deals like that. Uh, The other thing that we're looking at, and we think this could be a a a meaningful opportunity is we're looking at other concepts, for example, in what I call the high-end breakfast market. And when I say high-end breakfast market, I would distinguish that from like an IHOP or Denny's. Uh, I'm talking about gourmet omelets, uh, gourmet French toast, pancakes, high-end coffee. uh, And it would include mimosas, Bloody Marys, et cetera, a much higher per person average check and what we would like to do and we're looking at different M&A opportunities is potentially acquire a brand and then put that breakfast concept dual concept it into some of our granite cities where we have this excess capacity okay and for example let's say and i'm speaking hypothetically if we're successful in this endeavor uh let's say this concept does Two and a half to three and a half million dollars of average unit volume, and we put it into a granite city and let's say we get the low end of that range 2.5 million, and we do it in 10 granite cities that would add 25 million of incremental sales, and we would probably get at least 30 percent flow through on that okay about. I don't have my calculator with me, but I believe it's about $7.5 million of incremental EBITDA from that. And then also that you know, that uh, concept could be franchised potentially, but I, I'll discuss that more. If we, if we get into franchising, I'll, I'll give you some examples uh, later on in the conversation.
0: Okay. And then also I see you're doing some smaller store, Chipotle-style service line. Um, can you talk about that at all?
1: Yeah, yes, good question. um so the the industry has evolved over time. If you go back twenty years ago, twenty five years ago, we were building uh, we started building large boxes, and industry trends have changed off premise is a much larger percentage of the business, and it's hard to fill a seven eight thousand square foot box uh, well we when we acquired real urban in uh chicago uh we also acquired the what i call the ip or intellectual property for line serve similar to chipotle where you go down the line there's a carving you have a tray there's a carving section you make your selection whether you want smoked turkey ribs combination thereof, pick your sides, then, then go to the register, grab your drink, and you pay and you're eating or you're off in your car, uh, within generally within a minute and a half to maybe three minutes max, okay? So that being said, now that we own that IP, uh, we have a prototype for a 3,000-square-foot box approximately. And we believe that this box can be built for about a million to one point two million dollars on the high end, and would have the potential to do five six hundred thousand dollars of EBITDA. Uh, and uh, this would reinvigorate uh, our royalty stream. Uh, our royalty stream, if 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 we have a, if we can execute this successfully, and and uh, we've we're, it's in process already. We're we're One of our franchisee partners is building one in Coon Rapids, Minnesota, and we're looking at another location right now. If we can execute this successfully, uh, you know, with a two-year ROI, I think that prospective franchisees will be lining up around the building to sign on, and uh, it would obviously generate a significant increase in high-margin royalty income for us, which Wall Street loves and is a much higher multiple business. It would be very, uh, it would be extremely value creative for our shareholders.
0: Okay. And then with with these new concepts you you just mentioned, um, is is that going to see, give us more store growth? I I see that that's been rather stagnant in the the past several years. Yes. So it it relates to
1: the small box line serve. Uh, If, If we're successful, and we believe we will be, uh, we're very excited, if we're successful in executing this prototype, let's say, for example, building a store for 1.2 million with 600,000 of of EBITDA, uh, we think that our existing franchisees would be interested in opening up stores uh, because they're gonna get all their money back in two years. Uh, 50% ROI is, is a fantastic return uh and then we would definitely return to growth uh if we do that so that is something we are very focused on right now
0: okay and in in terms of your acquisition strategy um you know you mentioned breakfast which i think makes a lot of sense i i perceive barbecue to be had at lunch or dinner and that leaves a lot of space there to to add your, your breakfast concept in. Uh, other than that, um, what's your acquisition criteria? Uh, I also see that you made one uh, of Granite City and uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, so
1: our criteria, uh, some of our board members, including myself, we're significant shareholders. Our, our management and our team has skin in the game. So we think like shareholders. Uh, The criteria is it has to be immediately accretive. Uh, Granite City, by example, uh, we underwrote about three plus million dollars of EBITDA. Unfortunately, we bought it literally like a week or two before the pandemic struck in March. Uh, So we haven't yet fully realized uh, that incremental cash flow. But uh, we will be see- we expect to see it this year. So, uh, we would like to do deals like that where we can buy 3 million plus of EBITDA for 5 million or four and a half million dollars, a 50% or better R- ROI is value creative for our shareholders. So it has to be immediately accretive. We're very sensitive to our share count. Uh, we don't want to do things that are dilutive. Uh, mm-hmm. now- Secondarily, uh, if we can find an acquisition opportunity that is not only immediately accretive with those attributes like Granite City, but that could also be augmented through franchising, that would be even better. Uh, So like I said, we are active in the high-end breakfast space uh, where we can add uh, EBITDA at a high ROI but then also franchise it uh, because we have very good relations with our existing franchisees, and many of them operate multiple concepts. What I mean by that is they may be a famous Dave's franchisee, but they're also a franchisee of Popeye's, Burger King, Chili's, et cetera. So we think we have a nice captive market that if we uh, have a, a good concept with Really compelling ROI opportunities. We think that uh, many of our captive franchisees would like to invest in it, and then of course there's, uh, you know, the world outside of our existing network that that would be interested.
0: But what markets are you serving? Are, are you nationwide? Or are you mainly concentrated?
1: Uh, We're we're in, uh, I believe it's 31 or 32 states. And then we're also in Canada and then United Arab Emirates. Uh, So when we expand, we don't want to do one-off stores. Uh, You want to leverage your infrastructure in, in a market. So there's growth potential in states where we already have a presence and there's infrastructure and or we're supporting it. Uh, with our uh, franchise business consultants and so forth, uh, we think there 's opportunity to expand there and then also, I think there there are some very attractive states that we could go into uh, where you have currently more favorable uh, labor occupancy tends to be lower uh, good you know friendly places to do business, so to speak, uh, we think that we can go into those markets and if you know, we do it, we're going to most likely go in with a cluster of stores rather than doing a one-off. Okay.
0: And in terms of gating factor, are there some things that uh, are inhibiting, you know, faster growth? Uh, That's a good question. I I think there are always gating
1: factors to every business. Um, For us, I, I, I think it's always finding great locations uh, us and, and our franchisees uh, finding the right location, although probably because of COVID, uh, that that one item is probably a little bit easier right now. Uh, the, the commercial real estate market is still soft in, in many regions. Uh, of course, inflation, food inflation is something that we always pay careful attention to. And then also, labor-slash-wage inflation is something that we pay attention to. But we think with our line-serve model, we're we're going to continue to see lower labor because we don't need the the front-of-the-house labor. And what I mean by that is we won't need the servers and the uh, hostesses uh, so we can operate more
0: efficiently. And and then drivers that can really put the the wind at your sails. What are some of those?
1: Uh, I think growing same-store sales, uh, and the way we're going to do that is with continuing to deliver great food, great hospitality, and do an exceptional job of marketing. Uh, we, we use text messaging, for example, uh, to uh, alert our, our customers to communicate with them uh, for example, the specials for the week, and we, we find that it drives traffic. So, uh, so for us, driving same store sales, holding the line on operating expenses, and then yield and then uh, yielding the uh, flow through or increase in EBITDA on those increased sales. We we try to target 30% flow through on increased sales.
0: Okay, so if we look at those sales that, that revenue mix as it stands today and where you're heading over the next couple of years, how would you see that changing
1: Okay, so when you say revenue mix I, between the I, various I, concepts okay, okay uh, well, I would even add a segment to that which would be royalties because we've got our corporate stores, our franchise and our franchise stores, and then we've got uh, the the other concepts, so we would like to uh, continue to drive higher store level EBITDA margin in all of our concepts, uh, but we we really want to drive uh, the the number of boxes that we have uh, on a on a capital light basis. so we want to get our franchisees to invest in our concepts, which in turn will generate more royalties for us. So I I would say we're focused on both, but more focused really on driving uh, high margin royalty income.
0: Okay. So you've got a lot of interesting things uh, going on. Can you kind of make it a little bit more clear for me what your growth strategy is?
1: Yes, I will attempt to do that. So our growth strategy is to drive same-store sales, to continue to grow opportunistically through M&A. That's immediately accretive. I would add to that, if there's, a, if there's an M&A opportunity that is franchisable, uh, that would create even more value. And then thirdly, to build these small boxes in barbecue that have very high ROI to drive increased royalties. Okay,
0: Uh, very good. So before we go, are are there any uh, closing remarks you wanna leave us with?
1: Uh, Just just to summarize and reiterate what what I just uh, articulated, we're focused on growing same store sales and yielding higher flow through at our existing boxes. We're, look, we're still looking at and very active in M &; A and buying uh, EBITDA at a compelling ROI. and then lastly, executing upon these small boxes uh, to drive a, a meaningful increase in the number of locations and in turn much higher royalty income in the future. And we think if we do those three things, we'll be creating a great deal of value for our investors. And also, that a higher multiple, you know, royalties are, are, are worth a higher multiple really than corporate stores. So we're cognizant of that and, and doing our best to, to execute
0: upon that. It also sounds like you're, you're well positioned as the economy opens up. We are, Jeff. Uh, we're...
1: As per our 8K, uh, we are seeing, for example, at Famous Dave's sales, uh, even though we're still somewhat hamstrung with limited capacity, we're actually seeing sales increase above pre-pandemic levels. And uh, in March, we had record store-level EBITDA. Very good.
0: Well, Dave, thank you so much
1: for sharing the barbecue holding story. All right. Thanks for the opportunity, Jeff.